to you last week, uh, a friend of mine that we have been trying to maybe work out a chance for them to come and share in the service today. And uh, Christmas is probably not the best time for it, but, uh, you know, we keep talking about it, talking about it, so we finally found a date that would work in both of our schedules. Uh, and so we invited him to come and share today. His name is Jeremy Hamilton. Jeremy has been in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship or Student Ministries for 23 years. Uh, he served in three different states and on two continents. He began at South Dakota State University, and three of his most formative years were actually spent in Belgium serving with the sister movement of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship known as ICTUS. And he has served as the area ministry director in South Dakota since 2014. He serves as the interim director also in North Dakota. He loves partnership. He loves partnering with other Christian believers and gifts and servants of the Lord. Uh, he's been very uh, fortunate to work in Europe and in Pine Ridge and with intercultural students, so that's helped shape him. In fact, I even stole one of his sermon illustrations. If you remember the oscillating tool that I used in an illustration, this is the guy I got it from. And so he's very uh, well-rounded, very, uh, very educated on student ministries, and especially this generation, why they're leaving the church, why they're staying in the church, uh, what they're looking for, and how to minister to them. So I wanted them to come, him to come and share with us today. Uh, his wife, Trina, actually teaches at the preschool at James Valley Christian School. He's got two children that are graduates, uh, Elijah and Abby Kate, Bo both now at USF working in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as well down there. And uh, we have been blessed. He's got two children at James Valley still. I shouldn't forget them, uh, Natalie and Elizabeth, in case they watch online later. They did get a mention. And so uh, we have been friends with this family for a number of years. I don't even remember exactly when. Uh, but we have lots of conversations about the scripture, about ministry, about how to maybe more effectively reach a generation of students. And I have always been blessed by their friendship, their partnership and ministry. And I know you're going to be blessed today too. And so I'm going to stop talking and I want to ask that you welcome Jeremy Hamilton today. Good morning, everybody. Really glad to be with you this morning. Um, what I wrote in the introduction that, that I prepared for him to, no, he did a great job with it, is that I know how to use an oscillating tool. That's, that's the key difference. And uh, I need to throw in a sermon illustration for an oscillating sander, because that's what I did all day yesterday. But um, um, anyway, I'm, I'm really glad to be with you folks. Thanks for letting me join you today. Uh, my family and I really do enjoy the friendships we have with a lot of you folks. Um, some of you coach and teach my kids or have taught them. Um, a lot of you have partnered with my family in your involvement with Royal Family Kids. Um, and, and there might even be a couple of folks in this church that I taught or coached back in the 20th century. Um, so that was, that's pretty good to, to, and fun to share some memories with, with you folks. And uh, I would echo, too, that, that Pastor Tom and Christy have been a blessing to us uh, in our time in Huron. And... Um, and then as I watch you guys interact with the community, I really appreciate your desire to make a difference here in Huron. Um, I go to Bethel Church, and, and we love it out there, and we love the peaceful country drive, and we, we get 25 minutes before lunch to talk about Sunday school and what we heard in the sermon. Um, but you guys are, you can be a neighborhood church, and, and I love that about how you can have a, a, a real immediate impact on the community. 
Uh, so today I hope that you're encouraged by the scripture that we look at, and I hope you uh, take an interest in learning a little bit about the ministry of InterVarsity, as we'll get to that too. Um, several years ago, I was asked to preach in a series that a church was doing called Hard Questions, and this was my question. Why do so many students leave their faith? Uh, so I want to set things up with a couple of stories. First story. Disenchanted by the hypocrisy he sees in the church, in the life of his own devout Christian mother, a 19-year-old community college student escapes the Bible Belt by transferring to a private liberal arts college in the very liberal Northwest. The young man finds that his classmates from all walks of life are more anti-religious and really anti-everything than he was prepared for. In an attempt to fit in, and more importantly, in an attempt to find himself, he joins an activist group which forces him to question what he really believes in. Story two. A freshman university student attends a philosophy class where the uncompromising professor requires all students to submit a signed statement that God never existed. When the student refuses due to his own Christian beliefs, the professor challenges him to defend his position that his God, Yahweh, is real, leading to a series of confrontational presentations between himself and the professor with the class as jury. This student plans to go to law school, and a failing grade could derail that. Sadly, even his supposedly Christian girlfriend urges him not to throw away his future with this pointless act of defiance. Do those stories sound familiar? Does the second story sound familiar? It's the story of the movie God's Not Dead. So I didn't really see a student go through that. The first story is also a book and a movie. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you would have heard of it. It's called Blue Like Jazz, and it is, and it is based on the author's real experience as a student. Um, a story that I see much more commonly in my actual day-to-day -day work with college students goes a little more like this. A good church kid graduates high school and heads off to college or tech school. He doesn't plan on walking away from his faith, but life gets pretty busy. There's a ton of fun stuff to do, lots of late nights, and Sunday becomes a big homework day. And before you know it, he's not attending church, except on those occasional weekends when he goes home. And by the second semester, he's not even feeling guilty when he sleeps in on Sunday. So that is a little bit more common a story that I see. I think um, if you've been around the church a while, you've heard troubling statistics about how young people leave the church. Um, and it is, it is discouraging. The, the statistic that's been around for a while is that 70% of young people who attended at least one year of church as teenagers drop out of church. That is uh, originally from some LifeWay research in 2007. Um, that similar study was repeated in 2017 with um, just a very small statistical difference, hardly any change. So I thought it would be interesting. I don't know if I can get, um, if I can assemble 10, but if you're under the age of 30, why don't you stand up and I'll count. I would like to see 10 people standing, so I might draw in some, some parent types too. All right, can you stand and still do your job? All right. Do you fellas mind standing? I'm not going to ask you to come up or anything. And if you're online watching, I know this makes for terrible viewing. But anyway, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, Pastor Tom, why don't you stand? And then I need 
Maybe one of you two would stand for me. All right, so we've got 10 people standing, all right? We're going to just visualize these statistics, all right? 10 people, you probably know them. You know some of them well. Everyone but these three fellas, go ahead and have a seat. Now, you fellas stay up for just, just like 30 seconds more. Everybody else sit down. All right, this is the statistic. All of you just walked away from the faith. You're no longer engaged with church. It's not a pleasant situation. You guys can sit too. Thanks for standing. Um, some other statistics on the next slide you can see here. Um, and, and this is a few years old as well, but 62% um, of non-Christian millennials, which are now like, you know, not even just young adults, but heading towards middle-aged adults, um, never read the Bible. Uh, a significant percentage of them actually think it's dangerous because it's the way religious dogma is used as a tool of oppression. And, and a bunch of them just think it's irrelevant, just outdated. Maybe it was good for some people in some time, but now it's old-fashioned. But so many have never even read it. <clears throat> so almost half of the students surveyed, young adults surveyed, found it irrelevant or dangerous. And we see those students on campus. You see them in the community. Um, But I don't want us to think about the term uh, leaving the church because what really happens is people drop out. Priorities come in that crowd out church. I think it happens for us as adults as well. That life happens, we get busy, and sometimes we make churches or choices that, that keep us out of church in our faith community. Um, so of those people that left the church in that little visual example, um, the majority of those people gave one of these two reasons as to why. I moved to college and stopped attending church, just a transition in life. They didn't connect with a new community, or work responsibilities prevented me from attending. So there is this pattern of church young people dropping out when they move on to the next thing. Um, so I want us to look at a story of a young person in scripture. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 10 with me? This is probably a, a familiar story to most of you. Uh, but we will read it together. Um, you can go to the next slide here. I've just got an image to help us kind of visualize it. Sort of a hybrid of Bible times and now, and what it's like for a young person, what, what maybe we chase after when we're young, and what we're being called to, not just when we're young, but throughout our, our life of faith. Um, and this picture just kind of bridges the gap in this 2,000-year history between when it took place in Mark chapter 10 and what our experience is today. So we're going to read uh, verses 17 to 31 in Mark chapter 10. So let me do that for us. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. 
for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. We're going to look at several mistakes. Four mistakes or missed opportunities on the part of the young man in this story. Uh, So they're just going to all be up there. We can go to the next slide. You can see them all at once. I don't know what note-taking is like here. Um, You do everything else on your phone, so I'm assuming you're all getting it down on your phone here. But um, we're going to go through these four points. First of all, this young man knew something about Jesus, but he did not recognize him as Lord. Um, He calls him good teacher. Um, teacher was, was common, good, maybe showed us some respect, another level, but um, Jesus responds to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So I like to imagine a pause between those two verses where Jesus asks that question, where he literally gives the man a chance to answer, but he doesn't answer. Uh, maybe he thinks it's a rhetorical question, maybe it's simply a hard question, and he, and he really doesn't know how to answer, but whatever the case Uh, I think Jesus, when he said, why do you call me good, wanted a response. But the young man remained silent, rather than acknowledge Jesus as being more than a teacher. The the way Mark writes his gospel, he, he puts stories together that illuminate each other. And so, just a moment later in chapter 10... We have the story, uh, starting in verse 46, of the healing of the blind man Bartimaeus. And it is quite a contrast to the rich young man. Um, So Jesus is leaving uh, Jericho, and Bartimaeus is crying out above the crowd, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mark um, tells us in the very first verses of his gospel that what the book is about is to teach us that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the Messiah. And Bartimaeus, though physically blind, has this great spiritual recognition of who Jesus is. When he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, it's, it's an identifier of Jesus as Messiah. Jesus, the promised king from the line of David, the one who will rule forever, have mercy on me. So while blind Bartimaeus can see the truth of Jesus, even though his eyes don't work. The young man demonstrates a spiritual blindness. He doesn't see Jesus for who he truly is. So that's his first missed opportunity. He missed that Jesus is more than a good teacher, but he is indeed Lord. Second, he was unaware of his own sin. Let me read verse 19 again. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he says he's kept those since he was young. I don't believe him. But even if he had, let's pretend for a moment that he had faithfully obeyed all of these commands. He lived an exemplary life, always treating his neighbors with love. He fails at Jesus' second invitation in verse 21. When he says, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. One way that we demonstrate our love for God is by loving the people around us. Many of you probably know, uh, you've memorized 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, um, for love is of God, and anyone that loves is born of God. And that passage is really, uh, if you read it in the whole context, it's talking about how we treat our neighbors, how we love the people God put in our lives as a key demonstration of our love for God and our, our faithfulness and commitment to him. It appears that this young man doesn't truly love his neighbor. And it appears that he doesn't truly love God. And this, this is a sin. In, in fact, it's, the, it's, it's violating the great two commandments that Jesus shares elsewhere in the gospel. So he didn't recognize Jesus as Lord. He didn't recognize his own sin, his own shortcomings. Third, he didn't understand grace. The question he asks has a presumption in it that steers this off course. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The focus is on him, his actions, his behavior. Jesus saw right to that. I really believe that if it were up to us to earn our salvation, none of us would. Um, when I've, in the past, worked with international students, that, that was sometimes the place where our conversations landed because it's such a difference between the faith we have as Christians following Jesus and so many other religions and philosophies in the world where you must do and do and accomplish and be right. Our faith is based on the work of someone else, Jesus Christ, right? Not on ours. And just like we can't earn our salvation, I, I don't think there's any way that our behavior keeps our salvation. Um, and so any system that teaches that it's about us is not gospel. It's not good news. It's, it's bad news. Really the worst because when it comes down to it, none of us are capable of living out even our own standards for ourselves. So this young man didn't understand grace, um, and that's the third thing that he missed. It actually, I mean, think about the two words together, do and inherit. What do you do to inherit something? You're born into a family, uh, you inherit certain genetic things. You inherit perhaps um, something from an estate when someone dies. But you don't do things to earn it. It's just part of, of being in that family. So the young man missed grace. <clears throat> and then four, he walks away. <clears throat> Jesus was often intentionally provocative in his teaching. And sometimes he did it, I think, to really just sort out the crowd. Who is really interested in who wants the free meal? Jesus had a reputation. Some people wanted to see the spectacle. Um, in Mark 4, Jesus tells the, the parable of the soils, where the sower is scattering seed, and it lands on these four soil types. Um, I won't go through the whole parable, but at the end, 
some people didn't understand it and walked away and thought, well, that was an interesting farming story. I don't know why we talked about that. But others, in Mark 4.10, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And Jesus responded not only with an explanation of the parable, but also told them they had been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Would you like to have the secret of the kingdom of God? Doesn't that sound like something you could sell a book about? Uh, you, could, you could unlock all kinds of great mysteries and, and have such a good life. What is the secret? It's to ask. It's, it's Jesus himself. Give me some more, some more of you, some more explanation. And whenever people asked more of Jesus, he always gave more. And I'm not sure what just happened here, but I'm going to ask for more light <laughs> and see what happens. <clears throat> there it is. So the young man had an opportunity to ask Jesus for explanation. How can I sell everything and follow you? He could have, he could have continued to engage in this conversation, but what he did was respond in despondence and walk away. He didn't ask for more. He didn't receive more. So I don't think he really knew what Jesus was asking. So these are the four things. He didn't recognize Jesus as Lord. He didn't understand his own sin. He didn't understand grace. And he walked away. I think we see young adults, teenagers, um, and, and others of us at times, but, but as we think about that stage of life, we see these often lived out, sometimes right under our noses, sometimes right into the discipleship programs that we have, sometimes in our own homes as we try to do our best to parent our children. Our children can make these same mistakes. First of all, not recognizing Jesus as Lord. I think a lot of people who grew up in the church come to a place where they really do make some sort of faith commitment with God. Maybe they pray a sinner's prayer at a camp or a vacation Bible school or Sunday school class or at the bedtime story with mom. That's probably, those four options probably covered a lot of your stories of coming to faith. And those are special moments. But sometimes um, we don't develop into a place of really living under the lordship of Jesus. We understand a little bit about our condition about our need and, and who God is, but we can live in a way that says, and it's done. And what I think we need to do is be careful that we speak and live our faith in ways that encourage our children, our young people, to continue to grow in their faith, to ask for more of Jesus, to put all areas of their life under his leadership so that's got to be demonstrated in our own loyalty to Christ. If our children listen to us talk, go to our social media feeds, and determine that the things we most care about might be their athletic career, our political views, uh, my fishing trip, I can demonstrate in a lot of ways that there are things that are more important than my life with Christ. Um, I'm not saying well, you can do what you want with your own social media. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but we can demonstrate in so many ways to our children that other allegiances are more important to us 
than our allegiance to Christ and our involvement with our, our faith community. So let's, let's do that well in our own lives and be deliberate about teaching our children. Second, the lack of awareness of sin, I think, still happens. We live in a culture that calls many things normal, acceptable, good, that the Bible calls sin. And, and I'm not just talking about those issues out there that those people have. I'm talking about the issues in our own lives as well that we treat as no big deal. Maybe our greed or our, you know, misplaced allegiances. Um, so again, we sometimes have to name things in our broader culture that are problematic, that are anti-Christ. There are places for that. But if we are not also naming our own struggles and the places where things are threatening to become idols that I value more than my life with Christ, and our, our children and young people don't see us wrestling with those own things, the, our own struggles, humbly and with repentance, then that's the way they will grow up as well. They won't see their own sin. The, the culture's tolerance of everything and our own neglect of our personal lives can lead them to miss the same thing that the young ruler did. Third, a lack of understanding grace. I, one of the things that I think is a tragedy in the church today is that we invite people to follow Christ by faith, and then sometimes we subtly teach a Christianity where the central message is just try harder. Um, I've been to so many Sunday school classes over the years and have probably taught a few myself where the application point was pray more, read more, you know, do something more. Do something. We, we have that urge in us. It's, it's the, as, as humans, we want to be part of our own flourishing and, and salvation and so on. And while we participate, none of it is up to us. And certainly, that's not how we earn God's favor and right standing with him. So again, we have to demonstrate that there's much joy in following Christ, that whatever goes wrong, we can come to him, just ask for more. And sometimes that looks like try harder, but we can't communicate that we try harder to earn a better place in God's favor. And then finally, this whole issue of walking away. The young man was asked a question that he couldn't reconcile with his own way of living, and he walked away. And I think sometimes we are at fault in the lives of our children and young people in this way. Um, when we hear challenging questions, sometimes as a parent we might think, oh no, my kid is deconstructing, or something like that. Rather than, my kid is wrestling with life, this is an important question, this is a valuable experience, this could be the thing that draws him deeper and deeper into his life with Christ. But we fear questions as, as Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, parents, whoever. If, if I can't answer a question, what am I going to do? So just don't ask questions. Um, and if we teach that questions are not welcome, what happens when that student is faced with questions that they can't answer themselves? Um, sometimes evangelical Christianity comes across as we need to have all the right answers to all the right questions. If we can't answer a question, let's not talk about it. But instead, we need to be able to wrestle with those things, and we need to have 
an affection for Christ in our life that overcomes those times when we can't answer the intellectual questions. So we need to have a faith that engages our mind. We need to understand scripture, but we need to also love our Lord and be able to tell stories of his goodness in our life. And, uh, and when we do that, those two things work together. And when one is struggling, the other keeps us. I think of um, John chapter 6, where Jesus did some of that really hard teaching. In fact, it was, it was really hard. You have to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood. A lot of people left that day. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if they went home and told the kids what they heard that day or not, but Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? And do you remember what Peter says? Who else has the words of eternal life? I don't understand what's going on, but I understand you, and I understand my connection to you. And we want to see that in our young people. All right, I want to turn the corner and look at some newer research that I think will be more encouraging. So let's go to the next slide. Um, a couple of years ago, I read this book, Faith for Exiles. Um, you maybe have heard of the Barna Research Group. This book flows out of some really good work that they did. And the subtitle, if you can see it or not, I don't know, but it's, it's uh, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Babylon is the place where people got sent to exile. And they're making the case that the digital world is essentially where our young people live. Maybe some of us who are older as well. But it's not our home. It's a place where we live like exiles. And this, this chart... Um, is not something that I was really surprised the first time I saw it, but still, when I look at it, it's just jarring to me to think that this whole big green block represents over 2,700 hours in a year that young people, I think this was between uh, something like, yeah, 15 to 23, in a year, they are on screens over 2,700 hours on average. The little box in the corner, 291 hours, is how many hours in a year they're nurturing their spiritual life um, in church, doing something intentional to develop their spiritual life. So when the influence is staggered by a factor of 10, when there's 10 times more time on screen than in faith activities, how do you think our young people are being formed and discipled? It's the messages that they hear on TikTok, and anywhere else, whatever new app has come along that I'm not yet familiar with. Um, <clears throat> and so we have, to, we have to address this. There really is a case to be made that our young people are, are living in a dangerous place. Let's go to the next slide. Um, so in the study of 18 to 29-year-olds, these are some categories that it broke down into. Uh, so they labeled all the people who had attended at least one year of church as a teenager, regularly attended as a teenager, but now uh, we're in the next stage of life. 22% of them they call prodigals. These are the ones who did intentionally walk away from the church. And if I had the 10 people stand up again, you know, two of you would be right now thinking, when I'm graduated and I don't have to come to church with my family anymore, I'm done. So I hope that's none of you. But that's essentially the prodigals. They've chosen to leave the life of faith with their community. Then 30% are what they call nomads. Um, 
these people would still say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nothing they do demonstrates a commitment to being engaged in their faith with their community. Third, you have habitual churchgoers. They probably have been to church in the last month, but they also would be unable to, to share what they believe about some very, very basic things about their faith and in ways that would make you concerned you know, about their level of, of uh, Christian engagement. And then finally, 10%, one out of 10 resilient disciples. And what I love that Barna did was they switched it around, and instead of saying, why are people leaving the church, they studied that 10%. What have we done and what have they had in their lives that have helped them stay engaged with faith? More than half of the, the people up there who attended church are not engaged with their faith. But there are some ways that we can be proactive. So let's go to the next slide. And, and I took these right from the book. I really hope that if you have young people in your lives whether you're a leader or a parent or whatever, that you'll think about reading this book. As, as a youth leader at my church, as a college ministry leader and as a parent, I have found this book just to be incredible. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about making my 10 people stand up and walking through this again, but I think, I think we, can, uh, we can visualize it. Um, these, these are some key questions that if you're a parent or youth leader or you care about young people, you want to see the right answers to these questions. So if you have a kid that says, I want to see uh, Jesus reflected in me through my words and actions, that's a good answer, right? That's, that's those resilient disciples. Look at how much higher their percentage is compared to just those habitual churchgoers. Um, second, I, I have a responsibility to tell others about my religious beliefs. Again, so many more of these resilient disciples answer these questions in ways that will help them stay engaged and will help the mission of the church. Um, I, I'm in college ministry, and I think it's probably no secret that those couple of years after high school are just incredibly formative. People make decisions that impact the rest of their adult life. I know specifically what it looks like at college and university, but even, even those young people that just go straight into the work world, they make decisions that set routines that, that they live with for decades. Uh, and so I, I love working with students at that stage of life. Um, we see lots of students come to faith at this time of life, making first-time commitments to Jesus. Um, but I want us to think about what are some things we can do before they graduate, before they get to the college campus or the workplace. So we'll go to the next slide, and we'll show you some... Uh, practices of resilient discipleship. So I'm going to just touch on these. I'm going to give you a little quote from the book and encourage you to, to go into that further if you're interested. So these five practices really increase the odds. And I'm not saying it's a magic formula, but when we're praying for our young people and we're trying to put things in their lives that help them, these are significant factors. So um, first of all, Experience intimacy with Jesus. This means clearing religious clutter for closeness with joy in Christ. I think that is kind of a complicated phrase. Clearing religious clutter for closeness with joy in Christ. When people's primary connection to Christ is from a seat like this, and not from their own individual walk with Christ, 
it doesn't have the same impact as when they can say, I feel like Jesus answers my prayers. I feel like uh, when I make decisions that God wants me to do the right things. When they can have personal stories about life with Christ, it's tremendous. Okay, second, uh, develop the muscles of cultural discernment. Exercising cultural discernment means taking part in a robust learning community under the authority of the Bible in order to wisely navigate an accelerated, complex culture. So this book, you know, um, puts words together in this way, as I hope I don't discourage you from reading it. But what it means is, together and with Scripture at the center, we deal with life. We talk about those hard questions, and when the answers aren't clear, we still deal with them and try to move forward the best we can. Third, this one has uh, just been incredibly important in the life of my own family, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Building meaningful relationships means being devoted to fellow believers we want to be around and become. Um, we, we sometimes tell our kids, you know, you'll be like the people you hang out with. Well, that's true in church, too. We should connect them with wise and mature Christians that um, even say, who do you see in church that you admire? And then try to help them connect. Um, there's, there's research from another place that talks about um, if you're young person has five significant adults in their life, it is a huge factor in helping them stay engaged in the faith. And when I look at my kids, like if I'm RoboCop or the Terminator and I see all the digital readout, I'm keeping track of what adults are in their life having an impact. And, and I'm really thankful when, when they have like Pastor Tom for cross country and things like that. Because I know there's people um, impacting their life positively. All right, train for Vocational discipleship. Vocational discipleship means knowing and living God's calling, especially in the arena of work, and right-sizing our ambitions to God's purposes. Some years ago, uh, my wife was teaching a junior high Sunday school class, and one of the boys in the class said, I don't even know why this matters. I'm just going to be a farmer anyway. Okay, that's, that's awful. Like, uh, it's good to be a farmer. We, we all know lots of farmers. And I know some really faithful farmers, but this boy, at age 13 or so, couldn't understand what difference faith would make to his life as a farmer. And so we need to be helping students understand early on that, no, your faith matters in, in vocation, in the way you live your life, uh, and that God has something in mind for you to impact your world through that vocation. Okay? And then finally, engage in countercultural mission. And that's a little different than cross-cultural mission, where we're thinking about going to a different people group. But engaging in countercultural mission means living as faithful presence by trusting God's power and living differently from cultural norms. So um, we can model that in our families, in our church leadership. Like, um, we don't have to have the shiniest toys. Or we can just live in ways that demonstrate that we care about the people around us. And... And that's one of the biggest things that young people note. note. If you are a church, if you are a family that works to meet the needs of your community and the people around you, they sense that there's something important in that, and they want to be involved. So please check out that book. Um, I, I'm not a paid promoter or anything. I just really have found it helpful. Um, so uh, take that scriptural challenge from Mark 10. Think about the young people in your life 
how we can encourage them now so that when they do graduate, they continue to walk faithfully with the Lord. And, and then I want to turn the corner now and, and talk a little bit about our ministry with InterVarsity specifically, so we can advance here one more. Um, and so the, the purpose of InterVarsity, our vision is to see students and faculty transformed, campuses renewed, and world changers developed. So we are a student ministry, um, not just the young adult ministry, but we are at private schools, state schools, tech schools. Um, we want to see students in that stage of life engaging their faith. Uh, we value um, this phrase, witnessing communities. So if I could have a student come to one thing, one hour a week, I want it to be a small group Bible study where they're being challenged to go deep in scripture, to really engage deeply, and then as a community, seeing how they can have an impact on the people in their lives. Um, my role in well next slide I'll show you where um, what my work looks like I've been with InterVarsity for 23 years in a number of roles in a number of places as you kind of heard from my introduction but right now I'm what's called an area ministry director the term senior means that I also sometimes do some extra work for a little bit more pay but basically an area director is a, a combination of middle management which is very exciting spreadsheets and budgets and all that along with uh, all these other things trainer coach um, I get to do direct student work where I don't have staff so I'm the staff guy for Mitchell Tech I'm currently the staff guy for Northern State and our InterVarsity groups there and uh, I would love to hire some people to take those roles for me but uh, that's, that's kind of what I do. And one of my favorite things is I'm always the guy that buys students coffee or ice cream, so keeps my popularity up at student conferences and stuff. But um, next slide will show you where we currently have work in South Dakota. Uh, out west, we have South Dakota School of Mines, and we have Western Dakota Tech. We've been at work at the tech school for a couple of years, kind of, kind of stuck at you know, one small group of a few students, Tech schools are challenging because uh, you come as a first-year student, you meet the 15 to 25 people in your department, and, and then you don't even meet next year's cohort in that department because all the, the education is so focused. So we're, we're trying to learn some models that help individuals to kind of reach their departments. But we're also at Northern State, Mitchell Tech, South Dakota State, uh, the University of Sioux Falls, and, and at the University of South Dakota we have a Nurses Christian Fellowship, which is a specific ministry we do. Um, next slide will show you a little bit of other stuff going on. Um, I'm, I'm currently the interim North Dakota director. been developing a connection with Trinity Bible College, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with up in Ellendale. And uh, in February, for the second time, we're going to have a Trinity worship team come to our winter conference and be part of that. And uh, last year was so much fun. It was really uh, a treat for them because normally these worship teams go to a church gathering or a youth event and they got to be with other college students and, and do a lot of the stuff we do from from blacklight dodgeball to really good inductive Bible study. They, they loved the whole thing. Um, and my prayer is that someday I might start to find a staff candidate or two come out of Trinity. I don't know, can anything good out, come out of Trinity? Yeah, okay. Um, North Dakota State uh, is where we also have some things going on. We work with some Greek students, meaning 
fraternity sorority students, not like from the island of Greece, but um, we also have a Nurses Christian Fellowship up there. And, uh, and that might intrigue some of you. What is Nurses Christian Fellowship? I'd love to tell you about that afterwards. Um, all right, uh, Southeast Tech in Sioux Falls has been a place that we've kind of had our eyes on for a while. Um, I have an intern in Sioux Falls, and we have been doing some stuff to try to make some contacts at Southeast. And uh, I think there's a good chance we might be able to start a small group in the second semester coming up here. Um, so Tom mentioned uh, that I would tell you a little bit about where the offering would go. So the next slide, I want to tell you something. Um, I want to tell you about something called the Mark Drama, which in almost 25 years of ministry, this is the clear number one thing for me in terms of a positive, impactful ministry experience. Nothing else that I've done compares to what I see happening with this. The Mark Drama is a theatrical production of the Gospel of Mark. It's done theater in the round style. You can see from some of these pictures that the actors are mixed right in with the people. Um, it's a profound experience for the cast who don't memorize lines but rather learn the structure of the gospel and together tell the stories in a real visual way. Um, the exception is that we do have a Jesus actor who takes six weeks to memorize all the lines of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. But it's a very free-flowing, almost improv-like storytelling. It's possible that a couple of you saw um, some years ago before the pandemic when Bethel Church did it here in town. Or maybe you've been to one at one of our uh, campus outreaches. Um, one of the other things that is really special about this is the right people come and sit in the chairs. So if I have a student who has been trying to share their faith with their friends, and they never come to anything, but they have some good conversations now and then, they'll come to this. If you say, hey, I'm in this play, would you come and see it? Your friends say yes. And sometimes they say yes because they think it's hilarious that you're in a play. Like when we do this at the School of Minds and Technology with a bunch of engineers and meteorology students and all that, um, people go, you're doing a play with what? You know, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. People come and they have this amazing experience where they get to hear the whole story of Jesus. Um, and you can see it, it covers a lot of emotions. The upper left picture, this is, I like to see the crowd. I watch the crowd almost as much as the actors because I see what, uh, what their experience is like. Um, the next slide, I'll tell you about some exciting things that are developing with the Mark drama. In the upper left corner, those, uh, on the far left is my SDSU staff guy, John Flory, who is moving towards a full-time Mark drama role. Uh, right now he has a split role with his work at SDSU, but we have a vision for him training directors and expanding this beyond South Dakota and beyond the Midwest to, to have an impact throughout InterVarsity around the country. So the three next to him are all staff or, or one intern who have taken steps now in the director training process. And so we are going to be able to um, start to really multiply where these uh, Mark dramas can happen. Um, Urbana 22 is coming up in December. Uh, it is December, but later this month. And um, it's, it's InterVarsity's Triennial Student Missions Conference. A long history. Hundreds of thousands of students over the years have made decisions to follow God into vocational ministry or, or short-term cross-cultural ministry or things like that since the late 40s. 
And at this Urbana, we have the opportunity to lead a seminar on the Mark drama. Um, it's going to be a room with 400 seats. If it's full, there will be so many people who want to see this come to their campus. And so we're excited about the opportunities we have to help them take steps in that, to engage their staff, uh, encourage them to, to see this happen. And we really think this is going to be a great way to get these gospel presentations on many campuses around the country. And then one other thing that I'm super excited about is uh, a spring break trip we're organizing in March. We are going to be partnering with the two ministries, two student ministries in Belgium. One is for French-speaking students, one for Dutch-speaking students. But we are going to do six performances of the Mark drama, two in French, two in Dutch, two in English, with three different teams. Uh, in Brussels, it's going to be called the Mark drama extravaganza. And I've never seen this before, but it, I think we're going to have to turn students away from this mission trip. And so the kind of excitement that our students have once they've been a part of this, uh, it's just phenomenal and encourages my heart every time. So your offering today is going to help us continue to train more directors. Uh, we hosted these staff in Sioux Falls, and we spent quite a bit of money on an Airbnb and food and, and all those kinds of things. Um, but, but that's what it'll go toward, helping these productions happen on more campuses with more staff being trained to direct them. So I'm grateful for whatever you will give today. Um, all right, next slide. Oh, that's the last slide? Okay. Um, it, yeah, I think it is. Um, so I, I did want to take a moment. If you have questions about student ministry, what's happening around the state, um, if you want to tell me you know students in North Dakota, I love to hear stuff like that. I will try to connect with them. So if you do have a question, uh, say it loud. I will repeat it so everyone can hear, and so those who are watching the, the live stream can hear it as well. But any questions about InterVarsity, student ministry around the state, anything like that? So the question is, uh, have we tried to do any work at Lake Area Tech? And we have, um, we have had a presence. We have not been able to maintain a work there. Um, there is a, another ministry that has some students involved. So I'm, if you send a, Lake Area, a student to Lake Area Tech, and I know a lot go from this community, you can be confident that they can connect with Christian community. But we would like to have uh, something ongoing at Lake Area Tech. Um, the tech schools in the state have really, in the last three or four years, just become, on, on my heart, a really important thing. Because I see uh, a school like the School of Mines, the majority of our graduates go somewhere else once they're done. A school like Lake Area Tech or Mitchell Tech, those students stay in the state. They, they come to our churches. They become leaders in our churches. And I want to invest in them, too. So we, we've got kind of an up and down history with Lake Area. Other questions? Well, I will hang around out back after this. Um, there is an opportunity, if you would like, to sign up for our email prayer list. You can do that at the back table. I've got some InterVarsity buttons that are super cool, and you're going to want one on your backpack or your coat, I'm sure. Um, and then if any of you would be interested in, in 
thinking about supporting our ongoing work uh, beyond the Mark drama, but, but all the parts of that. There are some envelopes for giving, and um, I'd be happy to just talk to you about what else is going on and, and what some of that might look like. So thanks for letting me be with you today. I just want to pray for a blessing on you. Um, as I said, I really appreciate um, all the things you, you do in this community. Father, thanks for this, this group. I'm, I'm uh, thankful to be part of the service today. Thankful for the relationships uh, with the folks here and, and, and all the stuff that I see happening in the community. Um, their leadership at uh, Christmas and Halloween and all those times where people are, are looking for you know, ways to experience life in significant ways. Help them Help this group to continually put Jesus faithfully in front of their friends and in front of this community in ways that draw many to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, again, there is a table out in the lobby if you want to stop by and visit more with Jeremy or sign up if you were interested in being a monthly partner with them. Uh, he'd love the opportunity to visit with you out there. Um, he is a great resource. I told you last week, if you have children or grandchildren attending any of our South Dakota, North Dakota universities, if they do not have a present, he is presence on that campus. He's aware of other groups that are there. And so he would be a great person to communicate with, uh, to try to get maybe your children or grandchildren or nieces, nephews, anyone that you're aware of that maybe needs help getting involved in a Christian ministry uh, on those campuses. And so he's a great resource for that. And uh, the Mark Drama, I'd encourage you, uh, if you want to give online, you can give through the guest speaker fund for that. We had an opportunity to see it when it was here in, um, in Huron, when Bethel Church put that on about... Oh, several years ago, uh, the years run together, but a powerful presentation, um, ultimately just the gospel of Mark being presented to people in a dramatic way, and uh, people are impacted by it. You notice when people laugh, people get moved, they cry, um, it really impacts their hearts. And so I'd encourage you, if you can, to partner with that as well. And uh, I'm going to invite you to stand with me one last time so that you can uh, stretch. I know that the blood needs to flow to your legs, and so I'll pray for you and uh, give that an opportunity to happen before you walk. But uh, do take time to stop by the table in the lobby before you go and uh, make sure you greet some people around you too. And so, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to partner uh, with the Hamiltons, with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. God, with what you're doing on our college campuses and the ways that you are using uh, this ministry and others, God, to make an impact in the lives of these young people. And so I just pray today for the partnership that needs to be created in hearts, that that would take place. Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to take the things that we have heard today, that you challenge us with them. What can we do to be uh, more connected to the different generations that even exist within our church body. God, show us how you have designed and put together this church in a way that we can encourage and strengthen and build one another up, even reaching across maybe those comfortable lines that we so easily just fall into. Help us to know how to put into practice the things that we've been challenged with today. So Holy Spirit, thank you for the work you've done in our lives. I pray blessing over each one as we leave today in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here today.